chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This morning beginning at verse 11. begins the section of Luke's Gospel where Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. And we'll be reading uh, verses 11 through 28 on this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant word. While they were listening to these things, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And he said, a man of noble birth went into a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants together and he gave them ten minas. And he said, put this money to work until I come back. But his subject hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. But he was made king and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And the first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. And the second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, Well, I'll judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Well, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it at least with interest? And then he said to those standing by, Take his mine away from him and give it to the one who has ten. And sir, they said he already has ten. And he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, you bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can't hardly blame the people for being excited, really. I mean, ever since Jesus announced his ministry from the synagogue, it was one amazing thing after another. I mean, he was on the lake of Gennesaret with the disciples and he created all of this fish in a lake where there were no fish. 
And no sooner does he do that, he comes to shore and he sees a man who's covered with leprosy in one of the towns. A foul skin disease. And he heals him. A man who had no hope from any of the doctors and suffered with this all of his life immediately is healed from his leprosy. And then he goes along and here comes a paralyzed man who has never walked, carried by friends who are desperate to give this man his legs back and Jesus tells him to stand up and he stands up and walks away. I mean, wouldn't you be excited? I mean, he goes in the synagogue, there's another guy with a shriveled hand and he says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand and the shriveled hand is made whole again. And then he goes on into Capernaum, right? And there's a dead person being carried out. This is actually the son of a lady who's widowed. This is her only hope in life, is this boy who has now died. She's already lost her husband. And Jesus touches the coffin and tells the man, young man, get up. And he rises from the dead and goes forward. Now see, you don't see people getting raised from the dead, right? We don't see it today either. And so when Jesus comes into the world and he starts healing people, apart from medical means, and he starts raising people who are actually dead unto new life, you would get excited and so did the people. You know, Jesus crosses over the lake from the Galilee region, right? And there is this man who has been possessed by demons for as long as anybody can remember. And it was so bad, he had no control of his physical body, that they shackled him so he wouldn't hurt himself. But the demonic power in him was so strong that he would tear out of it and wander off into the remote areas where nobody lived and he would hurt himself, right? This man was tormented by the invisible realm all of his life. And Jesus comes and sends the demons into a herd of pigs who fall over the cliff and this man is normal again. And a woman comes along as the crowds are pressing in on Jesus and wanting to witness more of his miracles and hear what he has to say. A woman who for years has been bleeding and remember this woman who has been bleeding is not only embarrassed of her medical condition, but she has been alienated by the society because she can't even participate in her ritual religious activity among the Jews because she is unclean. And you know no man is even going to go close to that woman. And she touches Jesus and immediately the bleeding stops. And he crosses back over the lake from the Galilee region or to the Galilee region. And there is a man whose daughter has died at home. So that when Jesus comes into the house, they say, why are you even bothering? I mean, it's too late to heal her. She's dead. And he tells her, get up, my child. And her spirit returns. And at once she stands up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) Stop laughing. Feed her. She's hungry. You, You can't even imagine... Jesus doing that today, what would happen? I mean, you see the hysteria when the false preachers and teachers on the television who claim to be healers, although they're not, they're money grubbers, they're scoundrels, scandalous in the name of Christ, so they're doing And you see the masses flocking to see false teachers. Imagine, like it was in the time that Jesus was here, that it was real, that people were actually coming out of the grave. And the shriveled hands were made whole. And lepers were healed. 
Imagine the excitement that is going on. I mean, you can understand how people are expect. And then Jesus is talking about him, himself as a king. And that he's bringing his kingdom. And now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And it's just natural for people to be excited and expect that Jesus, who's talking about being a king and his kingdom, and going to the holy city, the capital, Jerusalem. I mean, you can imagine that this is, this is going to be it. It's not going to be any more just a piecemeal taste of glorification and restoration. It's not just going to be partially true for some who are along the way, for some who come to Him, but they're expecting that when He gets to Jerusalem, the fullness of His kingdom is going to be unleashed in the world. He is going to show for all of Israel, all of those promises that I made to you as a nation, from time past I'm going to fulfill in your midst, I am going to heal everyone. I am going to restore all of the alienated ones. Anybody who doesn't have enough to eat, I'm going to feed them. Anybody who's poor is going to share in my wealth. Anybody who is sick and suffering and even dead, I will raise from the... This is the fullness of the kingdom that they are expecting. Finally. Finally, I'll have relief and health and wealth and safety and comfort and happiness. No more loneliness. No more discouragement. And that's not off in the future. They're thinking that's going to happen right now. Right now when he comes into Jerusalem. But this is not what's going to happen. And Jesus decides, the closer here that he's getting to Jerusalem, that the people need to be corrected. Look at verse 11. They're listening to the things that he's saying and he went on to tell them a parable why and this is important for your understanding of this parable again you don't want to just take this parable and make it mean whatever you want to make it mean right I mean the scriptures interpreting what the parable means he said now why did Jesus say because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once So he's going to tell them this parable in order to address this idea that his kingdom is going to appear immediately when he arrives in Jerusalem for all of the Israelite people. And the first point, there are two points that he makes in the parable. The first point that he makes in the parable is a simple one. It is that there will be a delay, Jesus says, there will be a delay before I establish the fullness of my kingship in the world. Look at verse 12. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Now I want to describe to you the situation that would give rise to this parable. In the the old world, in the time of this writing, the time of Jesus telling this parable, the Romans were ruling this area where Jesus is walking, right? Right? And the Romans had an interesting way of governing different lands under their scope or in their territory. Of course, the king, so to speak, in Rome would not be able to immediately oversee all of the affairs of all of the diverse group of people that were living in his kingdom, right? I mean, also he had to deal with the problem that people didn't like to be part of the Roman Empire. So what would the Roman government do? Well, they certainly are not going to let that tax money go. So what they do is, they ask people 
local noble noblemen or local rulers and kings to come to Rome and to get the official stamp, get the official approval that they will be the king over a particular territory. Now, of course, there's all kinds of shenanigans in how somebody would get appointed, right? Basically came down to money. So whichever king would come from a region, whichever nobleman would come from a region and kind of buy his way into the favor of the Roman government would be declared the king. So this is the idea that's going on here. Now, of course... The good thing about getting Rome on your side is if there was any trouble, eventually you could get Roman troops from a neighboring region to come in and help you out in a dispute. But this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what it means to go away. It's a man who goes away to be declared a king by a power that is ruling over a particular local area. But you have to get that approval in order to to be really the king, right? This is what he's saying. So, it's a man of noble birth going to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. There's going to be a delay, Jesus is saying. Verse 15, he was made the king and returned home. Now, what is Jesus talking about? All he's saying is that I am going to reveal the fullness of my kingship at a later time. There's going to be a time gap, a delay between now and when the fullness of my kingdom is revealed. The second point, you will be living, people who are listening to me telling this parable, you will be living in that time period when I leave that delay in between the time before I come to return and establish my kingdom in its fullness. And if you want to enjoy the benefits of the fullness of my kingdom then during that delay when you are living, you have to acknowledge who I am. You have to believe what I am saying, and you have to do what I want you to do. Let me show you that, verse 14. First of all, in this negative way, his subjects hate him and send a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Imagine if this was with the Jews. One of the Jews rises up, says he wants to be the king over the Jews, so he goes off to Rome. Now, there's a delegation sent behind him of people who don't want him, and they'll try to get a secret meeting with the government officials to persuade them that he is not the right man. Now, by telling that part of the parable, Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you to be one of the people who while I am gone, before I return to establish the fullness of my kingdom, rejects me and says, I don't want this man to be... In other words, to not accept my claims about who I am and to not believe the things that I am telling you. If you don't accept who I am, if you don't believe the things that I am telling you, then you will have no place in the fullness of my kingdom. And secondly, you need to do what I told you to do while I'm gone. Verse 13, this is the whole business of he calls ten of his servants together and gives them ten minas. You figure a mina is maybe one of them. Today's amount would be about $8,000. Put this money to work. You know, it's just like today. Go invest it. You know, start a business. Do something with it until I come back. So he tells his servants to do something and then to a greater or lesser degree they do it or don't do it, right? He came back, verse 15, to find out what they had gained with it. And the first one gained ten more, and he said, well done. The second one gained five more, and he said, good, take charge of five cities. And the third one said, I did nothing. And Jesus took him to task, or this um, nobleman in the parable took him to task. 
Why didn't you at least put it on deposit so I could have collected it with interest? It was like a no-brainer. It's like today, put it in the bank. At least get your small percentage so that it does something. At least show that you have some kind of concern for what I asked you to do. So he's telling people, accept who I am while I'm gone. Believe what I'm telling you while I'm gone. And do what I've asked you to do while I'm gone. Because if you don't, what happens? Verse 27, the enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now why would Jesus tell people this parable? I mean, wouldn't they figure it out anyway? Obviously when he gets into Jerusalem, he's either going to bring the fullness of his kingdom or he's not. Why would he take the time to explain to them that there is a delay and then to instruct them how to act and what to think during that delay? Well, the first reason is, and this is the more negative reason, and this whole parable has kind of a negative tone, doesn't it? It's because people like what Jesus has to offer, but they don't like the other parts of his message. I mean, who wouldn't like all of these glorious miracles that are going on? I mean, who wouldn't like the fact that there's no fish in a lake and Jesus comes and creates all these fish in the lake so that the fishermen prosper and that everybody has food? Who wouldn't like it when dead people are coming up out of the grave? Who wouldn't like it when Jesus speaks peace to people who have been sinful? But you know, the fact is, a lot of people get offended at a lot of the things that Jesus says. They will accept His miracles and all of the good things that come along with believing in Jesus, right? But they'll stumble at some of His other claims. The Pharisees, for example, in Luke 5, they say, Why does He eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what he's saying is, listen, I mean, I'm glad that you're interested in all of the glorious things which I am displaying, giving you a foretaste of my uh, glorification which is coming. But you got no part in that glorification unless you view yourself as one who is in desperate need of my grace and my forgiveness because you are a wicked sinner. You know that prostitute in Luke chapter 7 a woman who had lived that sinful life she stands at his feet weeping and she begins to wet his feet with her tears she wipes them with her hair, kisses them and poured perfume on them and the Pharisee sees this and said well if you were really a prophet you'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is that she's a sinner and Jesus had told him you know you like my authority, you like that I've got things correct, you like the power that I'm displaying, but you don't like my message. That you are a wicked sinner in desperate need of my grace. And what Jesus is telling them is, you better believe that while I am gone. Don't fix your hope on all of the blessings that you think you're going to receive so that you don't acknowledge your own wickedness inside of the fact that you don't deserve it in the first place and that I am your only hope through my blood which I will shed for you. Jesus just speaks so strongly against hypocrisy. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
And people got offended at that. People who loved to watch him raise the dead and heal the sick, they heard him speak about hypocrisy and sin, and they cringed. I'm not going to let this guy, I'm not that bad. I'm not going to let this guy tell me how sinful I am. People got all kinds of reasons, right? They were following Jesus, but they would stumble at his claims. And it's the same thing today. And that's what Jesus is telling you this morning in this parable. You know, you live in the same time, that same delay that he was talking about. Where he had announced his kingdom, and he brought the beginnings of his kingdom, but he is coming back to bring in the fullness of his kingdom. And he will display in in a way that the world has never seen a reversal of the curse. But you will have no part in that blessing unless you believe that you have no right to be in it. And that you are as filthy and foul as the most wretched person you can think of by nature and that your only hope is that Christ's blood was shed for your sins. And this is not about you getting all the good stuff, but this is about Christ being glorified by saving us sinners. You know, people go to church for all kinds of things today. They go to church for their social connections. You know, they go to church because life is depressing and so they need to be uplifted, right? They go to church to... uh, make some business contacts. They go to church because they grew up in that church, right? They go to church because they got some of their thinking straight and so they like that church better than another. Why are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus because you acknowledge that you are a wretch and that your life is found only in His blood and that's your only hope? And if you trust in His blood, the glorification is yours? I hope so, because that's what Jesus demands. There's another reason He tells them about this stuff. It's that, you know, in this delay between the time when He gave a foretaste of the glorification and the time when He will actually bring it in, in its fullness, His followers get discouraged. And I mean, I think you can, you know what this, this is like, right? Jesus told His disciples... In Luke 6, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for later you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. What are your expectations as a Christian right now in this life? I mean, sometimes you talk to Christians and if things are not going well in their life, then they come to the conclusion that God has forsaken them or that their faith is not strong enough or that the church isn't doing its job because it's not making me feel good enough or whatever. When Jesus says, you've got to understand, Christians, during this delay, you are going to suffer. I mean, think about those people that were healed in the early stories. This is interesting to think about. What about that man who got all the demons cast out of him? What happened to him after a few years? You know what? He died. Okay? What about that widow's son who was raised from the dead? What happened to him after about 50 years, probably at the most? He died. Right? 
What happened to the man that had the shriveled hand and the hand was sold? Well, you know where his hand is now? It's in the grave. It's rotting away. Glorification is not here yet. What happened to that man with leprosy who was healed and enjoyed some good years after that? Well, he's dead too. And all the people that Jesus was healing became sick and died again. Waiting one day for the resurrection. The paralytic, he's not walking right now. He's in the grave too. Because in that period of time, Jesus leaving and then returning to bring the fullness of his, of his kingdom, you will suffer. You will suffer. Stop expecting that life is going to be good. Stop demanding that you always have to be happy. This is what our culture tells us, which is so rich, and which has given us so many blessings with the advancements in technology and medicine and comfortable homes and air conditioning and everything good that we have as blessings from God. But stop putting your hope and trust in that now. I don't want you to be discouraged, says Jesus. When you suffer under the common curse, thinking that you will not have the glorification. Right now we're in the delay. And you know, the other struggling too is the suffering, being persecuted by holding fast to the truth. I will tell you what, this world is at odds with your faith. And if you're the kind of person who goes around taking stock of your own sin and trusting in Christ alone and worshiping Him on the Lord's Day and calling upon Him in prayer, you just aren't going to fit with the world. You're not going to be satisfied among, among all of the vain ideas of utopia that the world sets forth. You're going to find that everything, like we read in Ecclesiastes, ultimately, you know, things we have pleasure in, that's all good and fine. But what? At the end, it doesn't answer our deepest needs. You're going to find that. And you are not to give up hope. You are in the delay. You are to say, fixed on Christ. And what He did for you and His message and the hope that He offers you in the glorification. The last reason we say that Jesus tells this parable is because not just make sure you believe who I am and what I've done for you and not just don't have higher expectations than you ought to for this period of delay, but also do what I told you to do while I'm gone. I don't know how to say it any more simply than that. This is the whole point of Jesus giving these servants a, a mina to invest. It's while I'm gone, do what I told you to do. Because there are all kinds of people who profess to be followers of Christ who don't want the cross. Not the cross of Christ. They'll happily flee to that. But what about bearing the cross in their own life? What about seeing this short time that we have before we die and go to be with the Father and then before the great resurrection comes, what about using this time in profitable service to Christ? This is what He wants. Like, for example, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You don't punch the time clock at church for your religion. 
Luke 11. Be faithful in prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Jesus has been talking a lot in chapters 11, 12, 18 and 19 about money. How are you using your money that you have in this time between when he announced his kingdom and when he returns to come in the fullness of the kingdom and give you everything? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Luke 12.33 A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. While I am gone, believe me in my message. Accept my claims that you are a sinner and that your only hope is in my blood. Don't condemn other people. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't get discouraged. Don't expect to be happy now because the happiness that you'll have later is much greater. And while I'm gone, do what I tell you to do. And then all the excitement of the glorification you will find to be yours when He comes. May God give us the grace the grace to be found standing fast in that day. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are like the masses. Even when we rightly acknowledge our sin and the precious blood of Christ, we are then quick to say, Woe is me, as if you are not sustaining us through all of our trials and watching over us in all of our distress. We are very quick to neglect our sanctification, to not fight our sin, to be greedy with our money, to not be faithful in prayer, acting as if we don't really believe the magnitude of what you have done for us, such miserable sinners. And of course, Lord, we're tempted now to think that if we just get our life together, then you'll accept us. But we know that's just not how you view it, that we are just to admit our sinfulness and our laziness this morning. And cry out to you to have mercy on us and thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood and having that full anger, that righteous anger of which you spoke, which in the parable would have these enemies slayed right before the king. That is the anger that the Father had against us that was poured out on you. We trust that alone. Thank you, Lord, and also now strengthen us to do that which is pleasing as we await our glorious inheritance. Do that which is pure and lovely and and befitting of your, your people who have been redeemed. Help us to bear our cross. Not to practice religion as if it's designed for us to be fulfilled in this life. We certainly thank you, Lord, for the joys that that you do give us uh, spiritually, that, that peace that we have, that we sense 
having been reconciled to the Father. But would would our true desire be to worship You and to give You glory and to struggle along in this life, even if that means that, that we must not always be uplifted. Lord, to sacrifice, to be on our knees in prayer. Lord, to stop justifying our own greed and open our wallets for the advancement of the kingdom and the help of, of those who need it. And in the many ways in which we, we find ourselves just falling short, Lord, we want to redeem the time. And by your mercies will you strengthen us to do that, to bear the cross faithfully as our privilege as we suffer along after the pattern of Christ to receive also His glory. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Pour out in our lives the blessings which You demonstrated while You were here the first time in that glorious day that we may praise You forever. Amen. The song preparing us uh, for the Lord's Supper, also responding to God's uh, grace to us proclaimed in the Word is number 435. 435. And let me remind you, we'll uh, be partaking of the Lord's Supper. If you're visiting with us, uh, please do take a moment to read the uh, policy for our visitors partaking of the Lord's Supper that's printed in the bulletin and we appreciate you uh, respecting our policy. Let's stand and sing these uh, two stanzas of 435 to praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh-huh.